We're gonna win this race. Hello, my noodle nectarines. This is your horticultural host, Matthew Sanborn Smith, and his Peach Fuzzy podcast, Beware the Hairy Mango. You have a banana and two plums for lunch just one day, and suddenly all your coworkers think they know everything about you. All right, no more bullshit, as this is our longest episode ever. If you're hating it, we'll get back to the regular way, the show after next. If you're loving it, well, enjoy it now, because we're never doing this shit again. For those wieners who need a little catch-up, in our last episode, you may recall that our hero, Cade Prothridge, and his crew had run-ins with two very different ships, a nifty one which held his true love, and a stinky one that held unpleasant looking naked guys and death. Brace yourself, then grab someone nearby and brace them as well, for the Careerist Guide to the Sea Part 3! The Careerist Guide to the Sea Part 3 by Matthew Sanborn Smith Yes, the sea can be a lonely place, but the true careerist can turn even this to his advantage. It's the details that will make you stand out among the 101 bronze-skinned hardbodies that are all clamoring for the captain's attention. A strategically located scar will set the boys abuzz over your exploits, and the closet couturier can be certain his pants will stay tight even in the face of utter starvation. Needle and thread not your bag? The more daring careerist can fashion a most provocative loincloth with whatever material is at hand. Move over, cabin boy. First mate has never been so easy from the careerist guide to the sea you handled yourself quite well at the boarding mr prothridge captain syrup said thank you ma'am kate answered they stood at the rail and he breathed deep the taste of the ocean salt on the cool breeze the night was quiet now that the drunks had fallen asleep and the ship was finally sailing straight again kate found himself in the rare and very awkward position of being alone with the captain the wrong word and all his hard work would be undone where did you learn to fight like that she asked Cade was at a loss. Quick thinking had never been his forte. He fell back on an old standard. Um, kill hall! He made himself jump, he'd blurted it so loudly. His heart pounded like a steel drum orchestra falling down the stairs at Carnival, and his face felt hot. Captain Syrup just stared at him with a penetrating squint. Ye gods! She had found him out. They'd kill hall him. That is, if he was lucky... But they were at the rail. Worst came to worst, he could jump. Captain Syrup wouldn't take her eyes off of him, and he couldn't look away. Slowly, a smile began to pull at her mouth, and she nodded knowingly. Yes, she said. Keelhaul. Keelhaul indeed. You're a fine sailor, Mr. Prothridge. A fine sailor. She wrapped one arm around his shoulder and pulled him toward her rum-soaked body while she laughed. Well, he couldn't jump anymore. I like the cut of your jib, Prothridge. Cade stood petrified. Although unable to take his eyes off of the captain's, his mind was working feverishly, taking a lightning-fast inventory of his entire person in the hopes of finding his jib and, if found, examining its cut. He tried to stall. Poop deck, he said with a squeak. Enough of this, Cade, she said. Let us make the beast with two backs. Captain, I won't take part in any black magic. She took his face in one large hand. Call me Mabel. She pressed her lips against his, and he was overcome, whether by her passion or his lack of oxygen, he'd never know. If he was putty in her hands, then she was a funny page, and he lifted reverse-image cartoons from her that entire night. He realized the next morning just what an exceptional woman he had bedded, watching in amazement as she put her pants on two legs at a time, unlike anybody else. He hadn't even been able to pull himself out of bed. Sitting up was the best he could manage, and he ran both hands over his groggy head in an attempt to clear it, His mouth, what the hell was that taste anyway? It was like nothing they'd ever come up with on the farm, that was for sure. What was that? he asked in a hoarse voice. Elixir of love, she said. The good doctor always keeps a batch on hand for me. Comes out in the sweat. 
It must have all come out last night, he laughed. You know, they said you were, uh... I mean, there's been whispers. The whispers are true. Dear God, he said, gathering his blanket about him. So you're going to kill me and eat me now? What? The whispers! I hadn't heard those whispers. Those ain't true. I thought you meant the ones about me having a go with the ladies. Thank the heavens. But if you like the ladies, then why... Well, find another on this boat, will you? I only turn to you because you're the most womanly man aboard. Thank you. He fell back onto the rope bed and examined the telltale compass that was set into the ceiling. Don't take it bad, Cade. It was good for what it was. You make it sound quite functional. Do something for me, Mabel. Do something for me and you'll need no elixir the next time. What is it then? She asked, thrusting her arms into her jacket. Two at a time, mind you. That ship. The cruise ship we passed a few days ago. Turn around and let's take her. Mabel laughed. You're mad, she said. Her sister nearly took us once. We can beat them now. You didn't have that witch doctor of yours at the time. And you've seen me fight. I want what they've got, Mabel. And I'll fight like a berserker to get it. Everyone wants what they've got, lad. And by the time you hit their decks, they'll give it so freely there'll be no fight left in you. They be sirens, Cade. Then let me board alone, he said, hopping out of bed. Tie a rope around me and pull me back once I've gotten what I went for. It's a girl, isn't it? she asked. Uh, no? It's square with me, Cade. I'm an opportunist, not some love-struck child. All right, well, if you're an opportunist, how can you let that ship get away? We were powerless in a grip last time, lad. Could have lost our lives. I'll not risk my ship or my crew. Set your sights on the next port. There'll be plenty of women for the taking there. The idea swirled in his head and took shape in the early morning. It hadn't occurred to any other member of the crew, and that was solely because of Cade's poor sense of smell. Every other crew member shot up to the deck upon awakening simply to avoid the stink below, and on arrival, each was put immediately to work as soon as an officer noticed his idle form. They worked throughout the day until they were so tired they didn't even care about the stench, slunk below decks, and fell instantly asleep. From the time a person set foot aboard the highly exceptional until the time he mustered out, there was not time for one original thought. But Cade, thanks to a youthful search for the best way to stuff a duckling fully into his nose, it worked better in halves, noticed no problem. He could linger in his hammock and he could think. Those above assumed he was working somewhere out of their sight, for who, after all, could remain below? Late that morning, he came up from below decks with his grand idea. Captain Syrup, ma'am, he said, standing smartly at attention and with a grand salute. You do not speak to an officer of this ship, much less the captain, unless first spoken to, Mr. Protheridge, bellowed Lieutenant Marzaday. Mr. Rowe, have this man tied to the mizzenmast and flogged. Begging your pardon, Lieutenant, Cade said, but I've got information the captain may deem vital. I'll speak to him, Mr. Marzaday, Captain Syrup said. Some privacy, if you please. Yes, ma'am, Mazadeh said. Turning his back to the captain, he scowled at Cade. This better be good, Cade, the captain said. It is good, captain. It's very good. The pirates we scuffled with the other day fled south along the coast. The same direction as the cruise ship, only faster. They'll overtake her in a day's time, wouldn't you say? And... And the pirates will be dead in the water, gorging themselves to excess. And the cruise ship won't seem as overwhelmingly attractive with all those smelly pirates raping her. And we'll all take what we want. You could pick up two more ships in the process, start your own fleet, Admiral. He offered a light jab in the ribs to emphasize his point. Captain Syrup was quiet. She stared out at the horizon past the stern. You've actually intrigued me, Mr. Prothridge. Yes, you see, there's no downside. 
well, we could run into the pirates while they're unoccupied and feeling less generous and die horrible deaths. But aside from that, you're right, Prothridge. Elmsman, bring her about. We're chasing our biggest prize yet. Yes, Cade said. You won't regret this, Captain. I swear it. Of course not. Mr. O, we have a gentleman here who's late for an appointment with a mizzenmast. What? Cade asked. But I thought you liked my idea. I love your idea, Mr. Prothridge, but you did, after all, speak to the captain of this ship out of line. There's protocols to follow. You'll have to take off your shirt, anywho. I suggest you use it for biting down on. Roe and Jeremiah each grabbed one of Cade's arms and pulled him from the poop deck. Nothing, Nothing fast, no, Mr. Mr. Prothridge. They both said by rote. Cade didn't try to escape. Where would he go? But he did resist, as he wasn't quite through pleading. But, Captain, the other night... You forget yourself, Mr. Prothridge. Ten more lashes for that. He almost said something that would have started with but, again, and thought the better of it. That damned Marzaday. Privateers weren't even supposed to have officers, were they? He really had no idea. Don't you remember, the captain shouted. She had one hand above her head and pointed down at herself. Opportunist! These were not confident pirates, as Cade realized now that he could clearly make out their flag. The seaward flew the deeply concerned Roger overhead, the skull and crossed fingers. That was a point in the favor of the lads on the highly exceptional. The spell of the cruise ship had almost completely overcome the pirates, as became apparent on approach. Their eight-gun brigantine had been emptied to a man, and all hands swayed on the decks of the cruise ship, either to the roll of the sea, the flow of the wine, or the haunting rhythm of the ukuleles. Syrup was no fool. She took the obvious prize at once, sending 15 men to board the abandoned pirate ship before anything else was attempted. The boarding went unchallenged. Cade wondered if the pirates even noticed that they lost their ship until he heard a voice from the cruise ship saying, You're welcome to her! Once the seaward had been secured, Captain Syrup gave the international sign for let's get the hell out of here. Hang on, Cade said, running toward the poop. Fortunately, he sidestepped the poop at the last moment, avoiding a nasty spill. We had a deal, Captain, he screamed. So close was he to his prize that he was oblivious to the threat of any lashings. Besides that, Marzaday was on the pirate ship. No need to be greedy, Mr. Prothridge, the captain said. We've got ourselves afloat now. A lot of promotions will be coming about, including one for you. Captain, please. He was upon her now, and his voice shook with desperation. It ain't worth it, young Master Cade. We could lose everything trying to board her. Sides, I got another scheme cooking in my lovely head. A scheme that'll get you your own ship. As much as he was obsessed with the girl on the cruise ship, he was intrigued by that last statement. What do you mean, Captain? I mean... We hang back and follow this air cruise ship from afar. Every time she empties a craft like she just did, we'll be there to pick it up. We'll have a score of ships all our own before you know it. Won't be enough captains to go around, especially with me becoming admiral and all. How could he argue with a plan like that? It was brilliant. Low risk, high profit, and he was all for it, except for the fact that he was missing out on that girl and she was all he could ever see himself really wanting out of life. All right, he said. Let me show you what I'm really after. You see that woman in the half of a green dress? She's roughly a third of the way back in that conga line. Captain Syrup withdrew the spyglass from her coat pocket and searched the line. Oi, she said with appreciation. Why hasn't she been ravished yet? It's the magic would be my guess, Cade said. Must be it. She signaled her second ship once again. Right then. I'll allow a small group of volunteers for a raiding party. Do what you may with that. Nobody important as I don't expect to get you back. Mr. Guru? Mr. Smoley, the captain shouted. With no further direction, Jeremiah and Davy ran up and awaited her orders. Gentlemen, I'm volunteering you for Mr. Prothridge's boarding party for yonder ship of doom. 
Very good, Captain, Jeremiah said. Davy merely nodded, lacking his mate's fervent enthusiasm. Great, Cade said. With your permission, Captain. All hands, I'm collecting volunteers for a daring mission. Avast, Prothridge, the captain cut in. I've gone and given you your volunteers. Begging your pardon, ma'am, but you've given me two of them. I was hoping to round out the party with another thirty or forty. The devil, you say. I've given you two, and two's what you'll get. You can't be serious, Captain. You sent fifteen to board an abandoned ship. I've at least a score of enemies who still look to be in fighting shape. I sent fifteen men to the seaward that I expect to see again at sundown. I haven't got such high hopes for the likes of them what boards that, she said, pointing at Cade's goal. You're getting on a healthy percentage of my remaining crew. Sides that, she said in a lower tone while pointing at Jeremiah and Davy. They're the only swabs on this boat stupid enough to follow a man to his destruction, even on my orders. Cade looked around the decks. For the most part, Syrup's men were a cautious lot at best, despite the line of work they'd chosen. They were the type you'd expect their yearbook committees had chosen as most likely to return from a perilous voyage at sea. Then he looked at his volunteers. The smile on their faces conjured up words like courage, risk-taker, oblivious, or stupid. Then he looked at Captain Syrup and saw that she was looking at him in exactly the same way he looked at Jeremiah and Davy. Aye, aye, he said. All his life he'd been branded many names, the nicest among them being foolhardy and generally unquiet. These were the men for him. Two will be more than enough. Would you be so kind, Captain, as to bring her alongside our quarry? The cruise ship's decks were packed with bodies, and not just those of the pirates, but also their would-be victims. Cade was intent upon leaping onto her decks in all the heroic fury he could muster, rather than clamber over the side like a rat. So he decided they'd climb to the closest yardarm and swing down on ropes. To be on the safe side, he told Jeremiah to go first. With a pistol in one hand and a rope wrapped around the other and a nasty-looking dagger between his teeth, Jeremiah stood poised above the deck and looking fierce. Pie, he said. What? Kate asked. This is Pie! Davy took the dagger from Jeremiah's mouth. What? Kate asked again. I said, this is plan A. We board them before they can board us. That's brilliant, Kate said. Of course, they're not trying to board us. No matter. We've only got one version of plan A, and it works well in a variety of situations. Now hurry up, you've got to take your shirt off for it to be effective. Be a good lad and put my knife back, Davy. Davy did. The pirates were packed in beneath them, carousing and taunting the crew of the highly exceptional without seeming concerned about the impending battle. Davy and Cade furiously unbuttoned their shirts. Ah! Jeremiah said. Davy took the dagger from his mate's mouth once again. What? I said right! Now put the bleeding dagger back in my mouth and don't ask again! The knife was quickly reinserted, and Jeremiah swung magnificently into the mob below, crying, What did he say? asked Davy. But Cade's attention was on the scene below. The swing went so well that Cade worried his prospective damsel might take a shine to Jeremiah. But he'd no reason to worry, at least not about that, for instead of buckling under the weight of Jeremiah's crashing body, the mass of pirates and other revelers parted for his arrival like grease running from dishwashing liquid. Jeremiah landed with a kathud, and then a scream as the dagger was driven into his mouth, making his smile about three inches wider than anyone would want it to be. The pirates swarmed over him and beat the pulp out of him with their dancing feet. Cade began to button his shirt back up. What's plan B? he asked. I don't know, Davy said. We felt pretty good about plan A.
Tune in for the last and final and last part of this long-ass wonderful story and beware the Harry Mango episode 92. If this part of our story widened your smile in a disturbingly unnatural way, you can floss it and other parts right here at BewareTheHarryMango.com. Who am I kidding? You don't floss. Serenade me upon my balcony in the comments for this post or e-neal diamonds to me because you don't bring me flowers anymore at Matthew at BewareTheHarryMango.com or anywhere else for that matter up to and including BarbaraHarryStriceAndMango at gmail.com. Round up all of the stray SF signals you find wandering around here and herd them back signal-handedly to the sfsignal.com ranch. You'll be happy to know that they don't brand their cattle, ma'am. They encode their logo into the signal's DNA. Then they bash their heads in and eat them. SF Signal. It's what's for dinner. Tell all your bastard lovers that this show is so good they won't need legit intimacy anymore. My podcast will keep them warm at night, in addition to central heating. Tweet to the beat that all of your followers should turn up and root me out at tater.com slash upwithgravity. God, when did I become this? Toe tap my donate button with your closest tapping shoe and pour buckets of money on my head. I, in turn, will use that money to repair my bucket-damaged head. This podcast splatters like the stubborn contents of a glass condiment bottle all over your brand new Sunday go-to-meeting Creative Commons attribution non-commercial share like 3.0 on Porter license. This is your last best hope, so I guess you're screwed. Matthew Sanborn Smith asking you how much experience do the Foo Fighters actually have fighting Foo? Hey, I'm just wondering. Maybe it's a lot, I don't know. And if it is, I pity the Foo. Good night. And the closet couturier can be certain his parents... Uh, his parents. His parents will stay tight. Cade was intent upon leaping onto her decks in all the heroic fury he could muster rather than clamber over the side like a rat. Clamber. Are you serious? Clamber. Damn it. Clamber. Everybody says clamber. Fine. Fuck it. I'm clambering. Bastards. Should be clamber.